What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of National Pastime. John Toaster and J-Rob here. And it's Pro Bowl week. And I just, I need to call this out. Uh, that in the group chat, J-Rob <laughs> pointed out that he was going to wear a Hawaiian shirt. And I had to let him know that the Pro Bowl is actually in Vegas. To which his response was, but it in spirit, it's in Hawaii. So I mean, in I, my defense, like, what other city other than hawaii would you see the most hawaiian shirts and vegas screams hawaiian shirts so i'm gonna stand by it that you know, i still want my state right <laughs> <laughs> i mean i need to do it in honor of andy reed like i have to thank him for choking that championship game and not having my misery be perpetually every year watching mahomes win a super bowl that i just want to in spirit okay shout out andy yep. reed doubling yep. down What's up, Toaster? I just am infuriated by the fact that everyone just assumes Patrick Mahomes is going to win the Super Bowl every year. Tom Brady had three fucking Super Bowls by the time Patrick Mahomes, or by the time he is at this stage of his career. It's the Russell Wilson shit all over again. Like, we just point these people as a fucking dynasty, and we're like, oh, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, greatest of all time. Um, Yeah, he's only lost to Tom Brady in the playoffs. Now he's lost to Joe fucking Burrow in the playoffs. So I just, just... fed up with the, you know, already assuming everything's going to be a dynasty because that's what gets the clicks these days. I mean, well, we'll definitely you, get into that in a little bit. You, I think what's up, J-Rob? I was just going to say, did you uh, really think Mahomes wasn't going to make the Super Bowl this year, though? I picked Bengals plus seven, and God knows that I'm usually right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it worked out, I suppose. Um, yes, we will get to that game in a minute for sure. Uh, but first, we do want to touch on the coaching news. A lot has gone down since we last dropped an episode. So really, I think we should just start with the biggest bomb, which was Brian Flores's lawsuit against the NFL, where he makes claim as uh, discriminatory hiring practice claims citing text messages from Bill Belichick, who mistakenly texted Brian Flores instead of Brian Dayball about the Giants job before Brian Flores even got to interview. And yeah, the I mean, the text message situation is funny to me because um, Belichick is, you know, he obviously has his snap face comments and all of this stuff. He's clearly not all that technologically literate. But this was like just such a classic boomer move. He just went to Brian in his phone and was like, congratulations. That's not true. He said he double checked it. (laughs) Yeah, he double checked it. Uh, But I loved there's two things about that. The I fucked this up part of it, which was awesome. And then the last one where he like signs off with his name. He goes, thanks, BB. (laughs) And I just, that is just a classic boomer text message thing to sign off on your text. But uh, anyway, Flores shows these text message screenshots within his his lawsuit, um, lays out a ton of other claims within this thing as well, including that Miami owner Stephen Ross uh, bribed him $100,000 for every loss in 2019, which uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but 2019 was the year that they came on late 
and ended up winning five games, right? So it took him out of the Joe Burrow sweepstakes. Yeah, it was the year that they expected them to be absolute dog shit, and Brian Flores decided to win some games and lose some money and potentially lose an NFL career out of this, but good for him for standing up. Um, the part that sucks the most, quite frankly, is that the discrimination portion of the lawsuit is going to be far overshadowed by the Stephen Ross implications. Um, right. the, the discriminatory hiring practices are very tough to ultimately prove. Um, yeah. But if you're a, he, there was actually on NFL.com yesterday, um, a report that there is an unnamed witness to the claim that Stephen Ross was going to pay Brian Flores to take to tank. And it was taken down, scrubbed from the world, and no one can locate it again. Um, so, but that was internal from the NFL that said that there was a witness to this. So that's the bombshell that I'm most interested in because uh, the class action lawsuit that he filed or the class action lawsuit that he tried to file just wasn't really set up appropriately way too many specific instances to him but his goal was to get a bunch of people on board with this discriminatory hiring practices and mm -hmm. so far um the nfl said it's meritless despite the fact that earlier this morning they said they're going to reevaluate all of their diversity equity and inclusion uh uh roles within all 32 organizations and then mm -hmm. Dan Snyder shit himself. There's actually an even bigger issue with the Dan Snyder situation that I'm not sure you're even aware of. Um, apparently, the uh, NFL and Dan Snyder in, in, entered into a common contract agreement, which basically meant they were working together for this independent investigation that came out of yeah. Congress yesterday. And in layman's terms, it basically is like getting married so that you have husband, wife, spousal privilege and whatever shared between you is no longer able to be disseminated without the um, agreement of the other party. And so now right. the NFL can say, I can't, I can't, they've now since dissolved that NFL says, oh, well, we can't disclose that without Snyder saying yes. And Snyder can't disclose anything without the NFL saying yes. And it was just a sham to try to hide everything. And uh, Jeff Bezos may be the new commissioner of the NFL if uh, they decide to just go, <laughs> completely public with this and sell out because it, it looks like it's it's gonna get pretty messy and again unfortunately not on the discriminatory practices side of things i think that one's gonna get pushed to the side yeah it i mean the hard part about it like you said it's it's a tough claim ultimately to prove in court the set the saddest part is like hell you don't even have to look beyond this hiring cycle of right. all of the positions that have been filled so far as from head coaches, every single person's white, every single person's white. And there's probably no question that as soon as Brian Flores was let go by the Dolphins, he was the top candidate that was available. So not only is he not getting a job, but, you know, I guess Eric Bieniemy is now interviewing uh, with the Saints. Um, who knows if the they go there? Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl, winning their fifth one in a row. He's available this week. Okay. He's yeah, he's available. He's available for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we'll get to that, but it's, you know, there's no question that the, the Rooney rule in spirit is great in practice that in no way, shape or form is the league doing enough to actually enforce this and at least give these minority candidates a fair shake. I mean, it's, there's no way that, 
a, a league that is predominantly black, the, you know, from whatever the college system up. And I just don't understand how there can be so few black coaches, black general managers. I mean, I think there's the lawsuit uh, points out there's only six black GMs. There are no black owners. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to, and this, you know, really plays in real life outside of the NFL and normal jobs too. You hire people that look like you, you hire people that, you know, you have common interests with. So if you don't have people of color higher up on the scale, obviously it's not going to trickle down the way that we expect it to. But I mean, it's just mind blowing that Brian Flores is sitting here without a job and may, like you said, may never have a job in the league again because of this lawsuit. All of these owners typically own other businesses unless their business was being born into the business of the NFL. Yeah. Uh, and if any one of their front offices, CEO, executive um, board looked like the diversity that we have in the NFL right now, there would be an absolute outcry from every single organization that you can think of around inclusive hiring practices, right? right. There's nobody that has... Uh, you know, white CEO, white CFO, COO, and like, it's just not the day and age we're in anymore. And the NFL's boys club, it's behind in the times and something needed to be a catalyst to change that. And uh, a great example of just giving people the shot. I, I get that the Rooney rule is ineffective, but um, Patrick Graham, defensive coordinator for the New York Giants has gone through multiple rounds of interviews with the Vikings. Uh, I don't know if anyone paid attention to the Giants this year, not the greatest organization, but the fact that they were able to bring him in and clearly um, value what he's able to potentially bring to the organization is a good start. But again, the Rooney rule is just not getting it done. Brian Flores sees that. I think everybody else in the NFL sees that, including Roger Goodell, but it's a meritless, baseless claim. Sorry, yeah. company yeah. line. Well, and the thing that bothers me the most about that Obviously, from a legal standpoint, I'm. I think you are. The NFL is encouraged to come out and deny right away, right? But beyond that, I mean, the league hired this year. I believe it was this off season. Um, a a female who is the chief of diversity and equity, you know, projects within the league has spearheaded a lot of different projects to to really build up you know, or change the way that the league has been doing things from that standpoint. And, you know, we're less than a year removed from that. And we're facing, you know, this, this big black eye on the league, uh, for lack of a better term. Absolutely. Yeah, well, we'll see how it plays out. Unfortunately, how it ultimately works out is arbitration is the first place this is probably going. And uh, we get all um impartial commissioner Roger Goodell to appoint the arbitrator, um, assuming he doesn't want to take the case on himself. Um, and that will be where Brian Flores' stuff ultimately ends up for everything, except for, again, the Stephen Ross side of things. The Stephen Ross side of things, there's just uh, there's actually an act of Congress, Sports Bribery Act, like this is a legitimate legal situation. And yeah. it could be the tipping point to getting back into, again, those Dan Snyder, uh, Washington commanders, uh, uh emails and such so it will play out over the next uh year and a half to two years i, I don't know how long it's gonna yeah. be as tom brady has served his suspension a full year and a half after um being 
just, you know, rightfully proven to just have a ball sack that had more air in it than anyone else has a ball fetish, you know, it's all now. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be drug out and yeah, like you said, we'll be hearing about it in a couple of years, but something to keep track of and hopefully next hiring cycle, um, you know, these teams start to open their eyes and get it right. I mean, right now, I think there's only two openings remaining Miami and Houston, uh, both of which would be a great landing spot for Brian Flores. Uh, Saints as well. Uh, Saints as well. Yes, you're right. Um, well, let's get to some of these other names that have filled some of these jobs real quick. So Josh McDaniels to the Raiders, I think, is a pretty significant one. Um, he appears to have made it past the this whatever stage he was in Indy um, and is official now. He he did a press conference. He was frankly very open about his experience in Denver, saying that he, you know, at the time I knew a little bit about football. I did not know nearly enough about people. And I thought that his answers to a lot Bill of those Belichick questions. Belichick didn't teach him about people? Weird. Yeah, shocker, right? <laughs> um which actually reminds me of one more thing uh, real quick, but uh, Darrell Revis was on uh, Brandon Marshall's show. I don't know if you guys saw this clip and um, he was asked about his time in New England and he's like, yeah, the Super Bowl winning a Super Bowl was great, but I fucking hated it there. <laughs> and he's like, it really isn't for everybody. The sole purpose when you step onto that campus, you step into that building. Everything is about winning. And it, there's a reason they've been as successful as they have, but that shtick definitely wears on players. And I mean, I think we've seen it right with a handful of guys that have come through more talented guys that they take a chance on. That's just say, fuck it. Like I'm not, not doing this. Um, Get rid of Tom Brady one year too early rather than one year too late. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I just thought that was interesting, but yes, great call out. Of course, Josh McDaniels wasn't learning how to treat people from Bill Belichick necessarily, but uh, he sounded like he's he's come a long way. And um, I think I, it's a good fit in my mind with the Raiders and um, bringing Ziegler as his general manager over as well, I think is a good move. It sounds like Ziegler will have, I mean, they'll, they'll partner, obviously, but it's not going to be like a Denver situation where McDaniels is going to have full control of the roster, right? Right. Yeah, and so, Ziegler's the biggest loss to me for the Patriots. So that was a that was a good move for them. Um, fill Mike Mayock's role with uh, somebody that actually can evaluate talent outside of first round wide receivers. Um, and I, I'm excited for that team. I think it's going to be a little bit of a revival for Derek Carr. Not that he ever went anywhere, but he just never gets the respect for what he's able to accomplish. And I think mm-hmm. that if they can make a push in that crowded AFC West with the 17 time defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs uh, that you know it'll it'll be uh, a good fit for all of them yeah for sure um, and if Aaron Rodgers ends up in Denver I mean hell that that's gonna be a lot of fun it's gonna be a lot of fun but McDaniels to the Raiders uh, like that fit for sure some of the other um, seats that were filled within the last week, Brian Dayball to the Giants. I I like that. I, I I like Dayball a lot. And I'm the staff that he's building out looks to be pretty good as well. But I mean the Giants are in a tough spot, I think, with um 
with Daniel Jones, right? Like they're they're saying that they're rolling with him, and maybe Dayball gets him going, but I, it's just a it's always a weird spot when you're a head coach and you have well, frankly, a new GM and a new head coach. You're taking over a team and you're stuck with a lame duck quarterback, right? You basically have a year where you're punting at the most important position on your team, and I'm. I'm sure they think, okay, we can, we can start to build this up and maybe we can get something out of Daniel Jones, right? Like get the, get the development out of him that we got out of a Josh Allen, but I'm not so sure it's going to happen with, with Daniel Dimes. I think Mara's embraced the suck finally though. He's tired of the two years and out coaching cycle because he never just takes the opportunity to get it right. Um, the GM for the, the new GM for the bills, uh, Joe Schoen, is that Shane? Right? Shane? I think it's Shane. Um, uh, basically come in and said, I'm going to clear 40 million from this cap. They're 10 million over right now. That means that Staquan's going to need to probably be reevaluated. Uh, Leonard Williams, they've got some big contracts that they're going to start trying to shed. And so I think the expectations are low that first year, see what they can get out of Daniel Jones under Brian Dayball. I it took two right. years to turn around Josh Allen, so I don't see that reclamation project ultimately working out. But um, I think everybody's on the same page there finally, which will be big for them, which says this is about getting us back in order for the long term. Um, I'm not going to mm-hmm. pay you $100,000 per game to lose, but this is about getting it, getting the ship righted. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. And I am excited for Brian Dayball. It will be interesting to see what – I mean, there's a lot of offensive talent at least in name on that roster. So yeah. if he if he can maximize that, that'll be that'll be great for him. I'm not sure without a superstar quarterback like Josh Allen how much that's going to be able to be overcome though. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think aside from Allen's development, the thing that I liked the most about Dayball as a candidate was he has he was white. <laughs> yeah, he was white. Um he has a a ton of experience, right? And with working under some really good coaches, obviously he's worked under Belichick, he's worked under uh, Nick Saban, but he was really adaptable with his scheme in Buffalo and started to work in a lot of things that as they were developing Josh Allen, the things that he knew Josh could do well, didn't try to pull him at Nagy and force him into doing things that, you know, he he wanted him to fit his scheme and whatnot. So I think he's going to get the most out of Daniel Jones. I just don't know how much there is to get out. Uh, you bring up Saquon. That's actually a really interesting situation. I hadn't thought about it. Um, I was just kind of under the assumption that they were going to keep running it back with him. But he counts for 7.2, or like his salary 7.2 this year, which not bad at all. And if they trade him... No, I mean, no money against the cap, no dead money. Yeah. And I could see a team taking him on for 7.2, right? Like, I don't know what you give up in return, but that's, that's a fairly reasonable deal. Like that's a tradable contract for sure. hundred percent. Yep. So there will be a lot of movement. Kenny Galladay, um, as productive as he was last year is probably the only untouchable one. Um, but yeah, there, it'll be a reclamation project there. It's not going to happen overnight, but uh, kudos to Brian Dayball for taking on that challenge because he probably had his pick of where he wanted to go large and by large, right? And yeah. he chose uh, to stay in New York. And I don't know. I guess 
he thinks if he makes it to the Super Bowl, he can win because that's what the Giants do. <laughs> yeah, all they got to do is get there. The, the um, Bills, on the other hand, if they get to the Super Bowl, they lose. <laughs> right. Completely different situation. Um, all right. Dave all of the Giants like that move. How are we feeling about Doug Peterson to the Jags? It's not bad. It's just right? frustrating because it's just the same old cycle. It's the, and not comparing, um, not comparing Doug Peterson to Jeff Fisher, but it's like, we've done this before, right? And yeah. yeah, we, he can make a competitive team. He's not going to get the Jaguars to the epitome. They're just too far away right now um, to ultimately compete against the Titans, the Colts in that division and the Texans considering what happens with uh, the Watson situation. Um, I just, it's uninspired to me, but not surprising. And I think he'll be effective. Yeah. They, they probably I, just want stability for Trevor Lawrence is the biggest thing. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Doug Peterson is a good quarterback developer. I, I think like he was on a podcast. Um, I listened to an episode of, of a show. I wish I could remember what it was from earlier this year. And he was talking about his offensive philosophy and game planning. And he, he gets it. He's a good coach. Their process to get to him was dog shit. And I mean, Byron Leftwich, you know, was supposedly the guy he removes his name and is right now like he the fact that a guy that played for your franchise, it removed his name from coaching consideration to go back to be an offensive coordinator is ridiculous. And I in mean, the meantime, he was the second highest selling Jags jersey behind Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's just their process. The Jaguars are dumpster fire. They need to get Trent Balky as far away from that franchise as possible. But I like this move, especially for Trevor Lawrence. My only concern now is that Andy Reid tree is going to stick together. And if they, God forbid, make Matt Nagy the offensive coordinator or quarterbacks coach, I just feel so terrible for Trevor Lawrence. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but ultimately good move for the Jags. I can't really hate on Doug Peterson too much. The right move was to get rid of bulky and start yes. over, but right. that was probably so, pretty, that's probably a pretty big contingency. If Doug Peterson won't get in bulky's way and they can, whatever you want to call it, symbiotic, even if it's dysfunctional. Yes. Was there a ripple effect because of Tom, like with this decision, like, Arians being kind of tied to Brady. Do you think did Leftwich pull out before or after the Brady news? Did he was he out of the race before Brady retired? I think I the, he was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because if it was after, then it might have been like he might have pulled out yeah. to take the Tampa job. Like because Arians might be gone, or he might call it quits now that Brady's out. So yeah, I, mean, I think that Balky took down Jim Harbaugh. Like if who would want to work under him. So if yeah. that, you know, I'm sure for all we know, he got into the interview said, well, what's the bulky situation? It's like this dude, this dude's got the keys to the Mercedes and I'm out because yeah, I mean, Jim Harbaugh has one of the best head coaching records in the NFL made a super bowl and couldn't make it work with that guy. Right. Yeah. It, bulky is for sure an issue there. And I think everyone in the league knows it. 
Um, my fear with this is they realize the error of their ways next year, get rid of bulky, a new GM comes in and they move on from Peterson because they didn't pick him. And now you have Trevor Lawrence with three head coaches in three years, which unfortunately is the bullshit cycle that these really good players, these young quarterbacks get put into on these bad teams. And it's the reason these teams stay bad and none of these guys really take the leap that we hope that they would take. And Sucks. to that point, I want to make a prediction that uh, it hurts me to say, but I think the Saints are ultimately going to backfill Sean Payton with a minority head coaching candidate as a kudos to the league. And it's a David Caldwell situation or a um, David, David Caldwell Cole. situation all all over again, where if Sean comes back next year, he's got the job still. So right. they, with the Flores stuff going around right now, make at least one minority head coaching hire because it sounds like the Vikings, their favorite right now is um, the offensive Kevin coordinator for the Rams. Yeah, yeah. Kevin O'Connor. Um, and then the Texans are technically still in the Brian Flores running after all of this, but they love Josh McCown. And if what's going to look worse for the league from a diversity inclusion standpoint than hiring a 42-year-old or 43-year-old ex-quarterback that's never, never coached, coached before over the likes of Brian Flores, Jonathan Gannon, like Eric Bieniemy, yeah. even Heinz Ward I, was apparently a, a head coaching candidate as well. So um, that might, they might just chalk that up to not being an actual NFL franchise. So that one doesn't count. But that's yeah. where I ultimately see the Saints falling. Is let's get a let's do something for the league. We still have Sean yeah. Payton under contract, and it that sucks. And hopefully, whoever that is can prove themselves. But in my opinion, David Coley proved himself getting that many wins out of a Texans team. And his, his name isn't even in the cycle for any of these teams. I know it's, it's really shitty. Uh, well, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, you mentioned Kevin O'Connell we touched on Jim Harbaugh. I, I, I want to <laughs> just touch on that a little bit more. It, that situation was so weird. I mean, I know from the bear side of things, he was a lot of people's number one choice immediately after firing Nagy. And I, there were rumors that they didn't even talk to him. Apparently they did speak to him, but he wanted full team control and a hundred million dollar contract uh, to which they, you know, at least from my standpoint, gladly passed on. And now he's staying at University of Michigan and claiming that he's done going after NFL jobs, which I do not believe at all. But I such be a shit show. I believe he's done. I believe that now he's going to make them come after him as a suitor. So he'll right. say, I'm not going out and pursuing these opportunities. But hey, guess what? I went 13-3, 11-4, 12-4 in my first three years of coaching with a Super Bowl appearance if the lights didn't go out in the middle of the damn game. For all I know, yeah. I have a Super Bowl um it's it, there's no reason there's no way his name can't keep coming up right oh yeah he's too damn good the, the problem is he's he's one of those guys where i think if you bring him in you're going to need to give him what he wants right like there's there's no concessions that he's going to make he's not going to give up roster control he's going to ask for that john gruden contract 100 percent every time and I, I don't blame him necessarily but that's a lot to give up. And for a guy that is tough to play for, tough to work with, 
Um, I'm not saying it's not the right move for most teams in the league, but you better have a damn good plan and a a GM that is confident in in themselves and in their ability to get go to the table with names and support reasons for players because somebody that doesn't have the backbone to disagree with Jim Harbaugh, it's not going to work. Right. There needs to have some, you need to have balance there somehow. And not a lot of teams have that structure. And I'm just, it's going to be tough, I think, ultimately. But to, to uh, me, he was a lock for the Miami job. And he was using the Vikings as a platform to allow um, the Dolphins to come after him, suit him, uh, become, make a suitor out of him. And They've got the most cap space in the league right now. If that Brian Flores stuff didn't come out, uh, I think that that was probably one of the most enticing positions to be in in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. Um, and then you have the added element of of Stephen Ross saying earlier in the coaching cycle, who is a UM alum and large donor, saying that he was going to keep Jim Harbaugh uh, in Michigan and wasn't he wasn't going to be the reason that Jim Harbaugh leaves the university of Michigan. So just a lot of weird shit went on with that, but um, I'm glad that it's done. Right. Like at least for a year (laughs) until he gets his ass kicked by Ohio state again. And we're, we're doing this all over again. I, I think my favorite comment about him backing out of the Vikings job was everyone saying that he doesn't want to get beat by Justin Fields twice a year? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. I think that covers most of the big news here. Um, right? Like a couple open jobs. We'll monitor that stuff. But generally, a lot has gone down <laughs> in the head coaching world and the Brian Flores news being the biggest piece. Uh, but with that, a- any last thoughts on the coaches before we get to the actual games? If McDaniels turns around the Raiders the way he was supposed to at the Broncos, I'm probably going to jump out my one-story window. <laughs> Sprain an ankle. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like It just screams like one of those things where he's going to come back and just absolutely like make my life miserable and yeah. being like, cool, man. Like Appreciate you. So yeah. well, I'm dreading that. We'll, we'll keep... All of our fingers crossed for you that they land uh, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, maybe a package deal. Um, We'll see how that plays out. But all right, let's get to the games. The first one, the Bengals at the Chiefs. Um, This one was wild. The Chiefs were up 21 to three in this game and just completely collapsed. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was awful in the second half of this game. And I think really the, for me anyway, the big turning point, I mean, the second half itself was just bad, but what gave the Bengals life was that last play before halftime. My question to you guys, was that a bad call or was it just poor execution? It was the right decision to go for it with five seconds left. It was an absolute reason that I can't stand Mahomes or his family is they just think everything's given to them 
he got greedy. You can't throw into the flats with no timeouts. And right. then he tried to call a timeout, which he didn't have afterwards. I mean, maybe he is closer to the GOAT than I thought, thinking that he had a fourth timeout. Um, <laughs> that It was just insane. You never would throw that. It has to be, worst case, thrown away in the end zone, lived to, lived to score three points. They got greedy. Right. They wanted to go up. 28 to 10 instead of 21 to 10 because guess what happened when they only led by 11 and in, going into half against the Bengals in earlier January they lost the same exact fucking way so he got greedy terrible terrible decision um and Reed's trying to protect him that was 100% on Patrick Mahomes that decision to throw that ball yeah also Travis Kelsey wasn't even on the field for that play I don't know how you're running a play in the end zone or near the end zone, and you don't have Travis Kelsey's big ass out there. I mean, it, I understand, like, don't get me wrong. I would say nine out of 10 times you throw the ball to Tyree Kill in the flat, you know, moving full speed. He's probably going to beat somebody to the corner and score. That's There's fine. Nine great... out of 10 times, there's not five seconds left in the right. half. It, it just didn't make sense in that moment to not throw into the end zone. So, um, I just, yeah, I, I'm with you. I agree with the call to go for it because that could have been the nail, right? And I think whenever you have a chance to step on a team's throat, it doesn't matter what point in the game it is, you do it. Um, obviously, the the collapse that followed, you know, made that decision or the play, the result of the play anyway, seem way worse. But uh, like the call to go for it, terrible execution. Um Mahomes, I mean, he's just, he's such an enigma, right? Like, I know you, <laughs> we've obviously gotten your opinion on how you feel about him and all this stuff, but you look at his overall numbers, right? So he was 67% completion, 275 yards. He threw three touchdowns. He did throw two interceptions in this game. But in general, like that stat line, um, I mean, hell, I would take that for pretty much any Bears quarterback, uh, you know, any game over the last however many years. I was going to say, like, I never had a quarterback like that in the history of the Bears. So Right. So, like, it, it, it's tough when he's always going to give them a chance. They will always – there's not a single team in the league, and maybe um, – correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, but if the Chiefs went to every single team in the league – and said, we will trade you Patrick Mahomes straight up for anything, right? Your quarterback. We will trade you quarterbacks straight up right now. There's not a team in the league that says no, right? Bills. The the Bills the Bills would have to think about it for sure. But that's Texans. probably it. Uh with Watson. I'm just fucking. Yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> Davis Mills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so it's like you're we're you're in this weird spot where it's like how much yeah he was he was bad in this game um but how much blame are you really going to I don't know I'm not going to lose like any emotional energy over this Patrick Mahomes debate about how good or not good he is he's he's really fucking good he played a bad half and it cost him the game but it's not like Joe Burrow you know lit the chiefs up in this one he he threw for fewer yards completed a lower percentage of his passes and frankly joe burrow tried to give this game away i mean the Bengals got a stop late he threw a bad interception when 
it was like a classic like Joe Burrow lack of arm strength inter- strength interception, and then like two On plays later, play. yeah, and then two plays later tried to give it away again when he should have just thrown it away and somehow like didn't see the guy standing right in front of Jamar Chase. I mean, those were plays that could have won the Chiefs the game, and you know instead Joe Burrow is getting and don't get me wrong, I love me some Joe Shiesty, but. We're getting. I saw a tweet of somebody saying the difference between Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes is Joe Burrow has it upstairs between the ears, and you know, blah blah. It's like get the fuck out of here. If if the Chiefs said we will give you Patrick Mahomes for Joe Burrow right now, the Bengals would be falling over themselves to make that trade. Like, let's not get this twisted. Well, did his family with it, or like, is it a like it's segregation? Like (laughs) we separate. Brittany and Jackson from Patrick. Cause that would probably, that would probably need to be part of my stipulation. Yeah. Oh, it would definitely be written into the deal for sure. But like, it's not like Joe Burrow played out of his mind in this one. Um, this was just, there was a lot of sloppiness in this game. And ultimately it came down to the Bengals being resilient. I don't think this wasn't like a Patriots and which by the way, five years to the day, 28 to three. This wasn't like a Patriots 28 to three, like storming back, right? Like it was very just meticulous. The Chiefs just kept fucking up and the Bengals just took advantage little by little. To me, it's uh, Andy Reid gets a ton of credit. He's a great play caller. I have not seen him be a great game manager or game adjuster. He came out, he didn't pivot at all in the second half he's like guess what we're up 21 to 3 should be 28 to or 24 to 3 if i didn't have dipshit thrown into the flats and we're gonna just keep pounding this out and then they do what five straight punts or it was like punt 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 interception punt um uh, that to me is on andy reed more so than patrick mahomes but when you talk about people trying to throw the game patrick mahomes tried to throw two interceptions in overtime and uh he was only able to throw one yeah i mean the nfl must have been just so relieved when he threw that pick right after all the discourse from the previous week of the overtime rules the chiefs win the fucking toss again and you're just like oh here we go like they're gonna run down and yeah i mean good for the Bengals. um and we'll get to i guess you know in our next episode our super bowl preview i'm not sure where i stand quite on their chances uh against the rams but good for them to get to this point this is honestly such a cool story from you know joe burrow's path to even just in college to get to the nfl going number one overall everything that's transpired to have them in the super bowl in his second year is pretty remarkable coming off of an ACL injury week eight of last year. Yeah. And And how we still want an offensive line. And we still want to anoint Dak Prescott comeback player of the years. What, you know, the betting odds are right now. It makes no sense to me. This dude, uh, (laughs) the, what he has that other people don't. Well, Mahomes has confidence. Mahomes has confidence because he's built it up and he's gotten super fucking lucky, basically gambling, right? He's just throwing, he's, chucking balls he's got people that are wide open and it hasn't come back to bite him 
Yeah, and it hasn't come back to bite him until this year. So he had a good first three, four, first three years in the league where it just his his interception luck just wasn't there. It turned around this year. I think some podcaster called that happening um, preseason. But what Joe Burrow Burrow's like insane when it comes to his confidence. There's an interview of him talking about how uh, he would put up 12 to 15 points in the NBA if he had gone that way, and the reporter's reaction was. Well, that's how I knew he was going to be fucking fact- fantastic because he's just so oblivious to reality that right. in his own mind he's infallible, right? And that's somewhat what it takes as a as a quarterback, especially when you get sacked nine times in the previous game. You still just keep getting up, and you're just like, eh, well, I guess that play didn't go how we wanted it to, but yeah. we that's why we got a next one. Yep, we're gonna win the next one for sure. I mean, what he's done is is remarkable. It it's always an interesting storyline too when you get you get a situation like this the chiefs were the you know the team that has been winning people are tired of them they're tired of patrick mahomes they're especially tired of jackson mahomes and Brittany. uh i don't know they're they're engaged right they're not married uh yeah, no, they're married. Married. i think it's still a fiance at this yeah, point i think she, i could have sworn that got locked up when like right before he signed hmm. That's, maybe but regardless, I mean, people are tired of the Chiefs. The Bengals are a great story. Joe Burrow, everyone still loves Joe Burrow and that confidence. When does that change, right? Let's say the Bengals win the Super Bowl and they go on a tear to start next year. When are people going to be like, the confidence is going to change to cockiness in people's minds and he becomes a villain? I can just, it, it's we always they've, go already, this they've already tried with his you know are those diamonds real on your necklace and he's like i make too much money for these to be <laughs> for fake. them to be fake. and it's like that's not him being a dick i'm sorry like that right that's just that's just casual conversation and i mean honestly you'd almost feel a little personally attacked at that point if you've got 11 million dollars and your you know rookie contract and you're like yeah right. i'm buying cubic zirconium fake here. diamonds yeah, <laughs> yeah um yeah. i just we always want to go the parallels this route. And normally I wouldn't bring this up until after the Super Bowl because of fear of jinxing him. But Evan fucking McPherson, is that not Adam Vinatieri and Tom yeah. Brick all over again right now with what the ice in this dude's veins is absolutely incredible. I thought, I I didn't think there's any way he was going to be able to make all of those field goals. At each one, I was just like, ah, is this the one where it just kind of mentally gets to you that you're doing, you're, being so effective that it's got to end at some point, right? Yeah. You're playing with house money. And I was so happy they were able to get inside, I think ultimately like the 15 for that last field goal attempt um, to yeah. win it over time, because I'm like, the last thing this kid needs is a 52 yarder to try to win in overtime. And then the chiefs go down and kick a field goal three plays later. So yeah. Evan McPherson probably steal the draft at this point. Fifth round pick. Yeah, man. Seriously, I, I mean, the confidence, look, if there's two positions on the football field that you want your player to be the most confident guy on the field, it's quarterback and kicker, right? <laughs> like, you, you need to be as confident in your decisions and your ability to execute. And they've got the maybe the two most confident guys in the league right now in those positions. So good for them. Um, I love I love it. Bengals are a great story. Um, the city will flow with skyline chili if they end up fucking winning. Uh, so <laughs> we'll definitely and, and shame on the NFL for not allowing them to have a viewing party at, uh, at Paul Brown stadium. Um, but 
the Bengals have already canceled all public schools for Monday uh, following the Super Bowl. Smart. Very smart. I love it. All right. Any last thoughts on this game before we get to the Rams and Niners? Well, Toaster, since you hate the uh, Chiefs dynasty so much, uh, good news is Pat's contract officially goes into effect next year. So the Chiefs are actually kind of in a lot of trouble. Like what a lot of people thought was like, oh, the unstoppable force in the next 10 years. Like Kelsey's not getting any younger and Pat's about to get paid. And so that team could end up seeing one of the bigger shakeups going into uh next couple of years. They don't have uh, the heart and soul of their defense. Uh, Pat, um, Tyron Matthew under contract next year. I think that that's going to be one of their offseason priorities. Um, but we'll have plenty of time to talk about this later and we'll assess the cap situation in full for some of these key teams in the offseason. But um, yeah, it'll be, it's going to get expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one last thing about the first half, end of the first half call. Um, I actually put that one on Andy Reid because should Kelsey have been out there? Yes. Should that have been more a play towards Kelsey? Yes. But you ran a flat, even if you run that same flat route, you ran a flat route to the short side of the hash. Why would you not flip that play and run him along the far, like to the far end of the field to give the dude that needs space to help him create space? Like, if you need him to get space, why do you, mm-hmm. why are you throwing him to the sh- short side of the field? And yeah, so, manufacture it for sure. They'd yeah. never, they'd never expect it. That's why it's unstoppable because it's never been seen before. <laughs> Overthinking it for sure. Yep. Yeah. All right. The 49ers at the Rams. Uh, this was, this was a great game, uh, but Rams end up winning this one 20 to 17. Um, the Matthew Stafford, you know, comeback story if, if that's what you want to call it uh you know is another great one um you know you you find yourself like despite like I, I think early on in that process when the trade happened and everything you felt like bad for Jared Goff you're maybe rooting for Goff and a lot of people were maybe rooting against Stafford in some ways outside of Detroit anyway and now it's like I just feel so happy for the guy that he gets out of Detroit and he had some ups and downs this year, but you know, to get them to the Super Bowl, and he's a f- fairly large reason why. I mean, he he didn't play his his best game, you know, necessarily in this one. He he threw for a lot of yards, he had two touchdowns, but um, you know, overall goal line interception. Yeah, you know, it's like he still made plays that always make you scratch your head with him. But this this was just the Rams being more talented than the 49ers ultimately, right? And then when the game came down to the end and Jimmy G was forced to throw, that that was it for the Niners. I mean, and that's that's been the name of the game with them and Jimmy G at quarterback since, you know, he got there, really. If you need Jimmy G to throw outside the numbers and it's in an obvious pass situation, you're fucked. And... I, this has to be the end of Jimmy G in San Francisco, right? Hundred percent. There's no way that I mean, he had three opportunities to close out this game in the fourth quarter, and he didn't even get the ball to uh, the Rams side of the field. Uh, yeah. They were scared to go forward on fourth and two. Uh, Sean McVay came out said he would have made the same decision to punt that Kyle Shanahan did, but that's probably because he's looking at who his quarterback is, and he's like, "Yeah, with your shithead quarterback, I would totally punt." Um, <laughs> 
But to your point, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo was completely ineffective on those last three drives. I don't give the interception to lose the game. It's ironic. It'll be fun for people as a talking point that his last, you know, potential start was, you know, a game ending interception, but he was just trying to make a play at that point. And he's not the athlete that right. Patrick Mahomes is. And, you know, technically he hit his receiver, got popped up at the end there, but to have three drives to try to seal that game um, and not be able to even withstand a drive, right? There was two, three and outs. And then one was a six play uh, drive that they had to kick at the 50, um, I'm a little disappointed by the storyline that would have been if Jakees, is it Jakeeski? Jakeeski? Mr. Jaquiski Tart. Jaquiski um, Tart had caught that ball. But with what they were able oh to do. Oh my God, I know. If what they were able to do on offense with Jimmy G, it would have been, a you know, two minutes off the clock and punt and right back in the Rams' hands. So um, yeah. I'm glad that, I'm glad that Tart owned it and said, yeah, I, that was a huge play that I didn't make. Watched it all the way in played the Super Bowl highlight highlight reels through my mind as it was just floating up there. Cause again, that's one of those passes from Stafford. You're like, what are you doing? You're throwing it 50 yards downfield. That looked like an arm punt, but it was on yeah. like a second down or something. Um, but I ultimately don't think that changed the game. I think it's just that Jimmy G is not the guy. Um, and maybe he can blame it on the thumb surgery, get the off season quarterback roller coaster going. If people actually can believe in him. Um, but that's the biggest takeaway for me is this will be a fun off season for the quarterbacks because Jimmy G's out and obviously all the other stuff we've alluded to earlier in the podcast. Is a team going to trade for him though? Because that's the it's, issue is it's $26 million hit, but that's an affordable QB contract, quite frankly. So sure. I can see somebody saying it's going to be, um, they compare it to the Alex Smith situation where, you know, second rounder, two second rounders probably get it done. It might yeah. even be a little depressed just because of how much cap implication there is um, with his contract in particular, but he's just, you know, second, second pick, plus, second round pick plus, and someone will probably ultimately trade for him just because he's taken a team to two NFC championships. I mean, when he's been healthy, the team has been effective. I um, look up his record while, um, we're going through some other stuff, but it, they're able to win in spite of him. And sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. But he's the epitome of why you don't like, look, you're cool with that level of production with a guy that you can win with not winning because of as long as they're cheap. But as soon as they're not cheap, you're just, you're stuck in purgatory. I mean, the, yeah, the Niners have probably gotten further with Jimmy G than a lot of other teams would. But I, I mean, I think that a lot of that is Kyle Shanahan, right? And the defense I, yeah. that they've built. So it's, I, if I'm a team that is in contention or on the cusp, I, Jimmy it's G not doesn't. A, it's not a team that's top. in contention. It's not a team like the Titans ship flipping a Tannehill for a Jimmy G. It's somebody right. that has nothing right now. Somebody that wants to bring him into maybe the Texans organization and be somebody that Davis Mills can learn from because he is ultimately a veteran quarterback. There's a lot of New England ties in that organization. Dude yeah. has a 31 and 14 record, like technically 33 and 14. If you want to throw in his two wins for the um, New England Patriots that one year. I mean, that's a record that it gets another chance if. Yeah. <laughs> If Doug Peterson, Jeff Fisher, all these guys can get a second chance, then I think Jimmy G deserves a third chance somewhere with uh, a win percentage close to seven, 70%.
Yeah, I, he deserves to be in the league. Like, don't get me wrong. It's just, it's a losing game. It's a yeah. losing game paying guys with Jimmy G's upside. He, he's never going to be the reason that you go to a Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl. And frankly, we're in an era of the league where you need your quarterback to get you a bucket. Like, everything fails. The offensive line is shit you know, whatever, terrible play call, your quarterback is the best player on the field and just makes a play. Jimmy is, could not be further from that. And I just, I, I like Jimmy. He's a good player. If it's me, I'm not paying him $25 million to be the starting quarterback of my, of my football team, frankly. Um, so well, I, yeah, the Bears should pay him $25 million to be his third string quarterback. <laughs> yeah, which honestly, depending on how your roster is constructed, is fine. If yeah. <laughs> you can waste that money on a backup, you probably get more value from Jimmy, like as a backup quarterback at that point, mentoring somebody that's, like, hey, oh, hey, Trey Lance, then, <laughs> you know, really. Uh, that's how the 49ers looked at it, right? They said this is this investment is as much in Jimmy G as it is in Trey Lance's development. They did that with the Texans did that with Josh McCown last year. He was their emergency COVID quarterback. And quite frankly, he was just a dude sitting in his cabin somewhere, hit, sitting on Zoom meetings as a fourth stringer that was contributing all of his knowledge because he's been in the league for 20 damn years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if if Lance was ready, Jimmy probably sits this year, right? Like I, I think uh-huh. Shanahan maybe alluded to that as, you know, as they hit that skid if Trey would have been ready to go, they probably would have made the switch if they, and then they turned it around. If Trey hadn't gotten hurt playing like quarterbacks play these days, running the ball around with no regard to their own safety, he would have well, maintained the starting quarterback. Position. Some of that's on Shanny though. I mean, uh, Oh, I know they were run, but they were using him like he was a, their fifth string running back. I think that's, that's where they were down to at the time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of uh, Shanny, do you guys put – I personally put this game almost all on Shanahan for one reason, and I'm going to ask you guys this. Debo Samuel, their best weapon, right? Gets it done. He's so versatile. The last time he touched the ball was at 12 minutes and 42 seconds left in the fourth quarter. He was responsible for the San Francisco's last first down at 12 minutes and two seconds in the fourth quarter, and they did not. he did not touch the ball the rest of the game and they did not get a first down the rest of the game. How much of that is on Shanahan for like, cause you, at the end of the day, Shanahan's the play caller. He's calling these plays. Why are you not right. drawing up plays to a guy that clearly is moving the needle for your team and getting the job done. And he doesn't touch yeah. the ball the entire fourth quarter. Is this not a rehash of just everything Kyle Shanahan does at the end of games when he has a lead? Like, how is this not solely on Shanahan and Jimmy G is such a scapegoat for it. Yeah, that's that's surprising to hear only because I would have thought they would have mixed in some runs, right? With but, him at least. Yeah, dude, I'm pulling up the play-by-play game script. I did but, search I mean, Debo Samuel's name. And yeah, last time he touched the ball was 1242 in the fourth quarter. And that was for a 12-yard first down. But there were only nine offensive plays after that. One was a nine-yard run by Mitchell. Then they got stopped on that short, um, that short uh, second and one for no gain and decided to punt. And then after that, I mean, they were targeting Kittle, Ayuk, 
and uh, Travis Benjamin, but they were at third and 15 at that point. Like they weren't in running situations. I But look at Debo and Green Bay, script. dude. Debo and Green Bay was running the ball on second and 15s for 13 yards. Like he, well, the dude can get chunk plays. And I, I just don't understand why you'd run away from one of your best players and arguably an MVP candidate for crunch time. I'm just saying crunch time was a lot shorter. You're making it sound like, you know, he didn't touch the ball forever, but it was nine plays. Really only seven of those were after trying to get a short first down. And it, Jimmy G didn't have any time to throw on those last three plays when they were down 17 to 20. So they had to do chunk plays. They weren't going to run the ball with what was it a minute left on their last drive. Like they needed Debo to go out and flank. So you're basically talking about three plays and they targeted a, you can Kittle on two of those three plays. So I'm not going to, not going to dog Shanny for not giving the ball to Debo in the backfield, but it fits the narrative of a late game collapse for Shanny because he had a 10 point lead going into the fourth quarter again and wasn't able to execute. Yeah. Jimmy, to your point, Josh, I mean, like, yeah, some some of it could be on Shanny, but I think Jimmy's inability to connect on anything to prolong those drives was really what fucked them there. Yeah. I mean, if if he gets one first down, you know, then then maybe that sets them up to give Debo the ball four times in a row after that. You know what I mean? Um, so it's it's definitely it's jarring to hear that. But I think, yeah, when you really break it down. Um, there wasn't a ton of opportunity necessarily to to get him the ball unless they decided to go for it on fourth and two there. And, you know, maybe that would have been the ideal time to put yeah. it in your best player's hands for sure. Yeah, if that, if that drive had been longer than whatever the six plays it was and they're not getting Debo the ball at that point with a fresh set of downs, then yeah, it becomes unex- inexcusable at that point. And maybe that would have been how it ultimately played out, Josh, for all we know, the next three three and out was the same game script they were going to use um on the next three plays but uh i just think that jimmy g was their their kryptonite and it was what i said it would be i get i said he'd throw a touchdown pass and he's now lost two games when he throws a touchdown pass in the playoffs he's only won one (laughs) i fucking love that narrative (laughs) if jimmy g throws a touchdown they lose Oh man, I Jimmy G man. Well, uh, we've spent a lot of time on the 49er on the team that lost this game. Uh, the Rams, they're four and a half point favorites. We won't get into our full preview, but I mean, what they've done pushing all their chips in really for the next two, three years. Um, it's rare, I think, that it works out ultimately when teams do this. So the fact that they've even made it this far is is a pretty, I mean, they deserve credit. And I know it's like, oh, well, yeah, they have Aaron Donald, they have Jalen Ramsey, they have Von Miller, Cooper Cup. They deserve credit for getting this far. And but frankly, it's like you look at with the coaching stuff too. That McVeigh staff has turned over every fucking year that he's been there. And they just continue to plug along. McVeigh is, I think you, uh, Toaster, you called him a savant uh, in the last episode. And he truly is. I, I sent you guys a clip of him being interviewed, being asked about random play calls from years ago. And him recalling the exact outcome of those plays, who it, what the call was, who it went to, what the result was. Like, just absolutely insane shit. Um, you know, he's 
the Shanahan and McVay battle is is going to be a fun one, I think, for for some time. Um, but you know what this Rams team has done this year with all of the expectations that they had and getting to the Super Bowl, sort of blowing up that Matt Stafford narrative and everything. It, it's a pretty cool story in and of itself, in my mind. Yeah, no, it's what they've been doing with it. They're the Los Angeles Lakers, except it's actually working for them right now. Eric Weddle came out of retirement, led the team in frickin' tackles in yeah. the conference championship game. I mean, it's just awesome. I, I love Weddle. Glad he's getting another shot here because um, we know on the Chargers, he was never going to make it this far, um, especially not with the <laughs> coaching staff they had at the time. But they're doing all of this through they're persevering too i mean they lost robert woods who was a huge part portion of their offense um cam Akers yeah. is back now but i mean wasn't supposed to be but there is no daryl henderson like they've lost a lot of stars too and yep. they it, it's just been fun quite frankly and this is great for the league that this is working out it's great for the league that it's working out in los angeles it's great for the league that it's working out yes. in los angeles while the super bowl is in los angeles yeah, I, the fact that in the history of the NFL, the team, the city that was hosting the Super Bowl never had a team play in it, and now we've got it two years in a row is pretty damn cool, honestly. Like the Bucks are the only home team to ever play at their home stadium, though. True. I, like, why Why does the league do that? Why did they make the Bengals the home team in this game? I don't know why it's it alternates every year. It should be based on whoever stadium they play at. Right. Like, so this one, you could argue, oh, it's at the Charger Stadium, but it should be whatever team hosts. It should be. That's the that's the home team, whether it's the NFC or the AFC. And then that goes yeah. into the bit that goes into the bidding process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so weird that they did that. But anyway, um, I'm I'm stoked. I think this is going to be a, a pretty fun matchup. Um, I'd be curious to see what historically over the last like 10 years the the favorite you know how much they were favored by four and a half feels like it's a lot in this one um you know not necessarily from the standpoint of i, I think the rams should be favored by less but you know this is clearly a matchup of a team that is supposed to be there and a team that's not supposed to be there right so um i'm i'm stoked for this one and I'm excited to really dive into it in, in more detail in our next episode. But any any last thoughts on either of these games? Uh, good for all those uh, Pro Bowl handout participation trophies, because now that it's in front <laughs> of the Super Bowl, we've got another, you know, two teams that aren't going to be playing there. And I think that we're on to like the eighth string reserve is now an, a, a Pro Bowl um, yeah. eligible so looking forward to seeing Kirk Cousins for the 15th year in a row. He's never, <laughs> never has to worry about being in the big game. That's a great point. This is his Super Bowl. The Pro Bowl is Kirk Cousins' Super Bowl. I mean, Mac Jones is a Pro Bowler right now. And right. you watched it. If, did you have an opportunity to watch the skills competition? I saw clips of it. I well, can't bring so myself to watch it. He technically won one of the events, but um, the precision passing one, First off, uh, Jefferson from the Vikings was the wide receiver um, in that competition. Didn't get a single point. Um, Hunter Renfro only got one point on a check down pass. Uh, Mac Jones got eight. And Russell Wilson 
absolutely obliterated everything. Like if you want to see the different level of talent between this round's, you know, this year's 15th overall pick and Russell Wilson, what a 10, uh, third round pick from 10 years ago, it was night and day. Watch, watch that one. I would recommend that to everybody. Yeah. The other thing that you're going to be watching that I want to shit on is uh, they're implementing your spot and choose rule uh, for each to start each half of the uh, Pro Bowl. Are they? Yeah. Well, I can't state claim to that rule. I'm intrigued by it. I just want to see it like used and I want to see strategy involved. You know what I mean? Um, the problem so. is there isn't. That's why I'm going to shit on it right now, because you pro- the problem is you get to choose twice. So both the team could end up having possession to start the first half and the second half, which means that ultimately mm. it's going to be a problem for your the chiefs are going to get the ball every single time because they're going to choose to put it on their own five or they're going to let the other team pick it and they'll just take the ball so if you want the chiefs to have the ball to start each half every single game then this is a great rule for you if not um and you know you actually have some sort of semblance of wanting some integrity of the game as far as stats and all that stuff, because Patrick Mahomes starting every drive with a five is going to give him an opportunity for 95 yards on every single drive versus the typical 75. Um, I, I want to watch it blow up. So I'm excited for that in the Pro Bowl. Um, and hopefully everybody gets out of Vegas safe. I think that's the biggest uh, issue we may have for this. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, much to J-Rob's dismay, it's not in Hawaii but we're going to pretend like it is the, I don't get me wrong. I, the text message you sent was hilarious. The Pro Bowl in my mind will forever be in Hawaii as well. So hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, I'm choosing to die on this hill. I uh, just want to make it known um, when Debo touched the ball more than two or if he touched the ball two or more times, they scored. And if they didn't on a drive, yep. If he touched the ball two or more times on a drive, they, they scored points. And you understand also, the, the flaw of that, right? Yeah, like, so yes, I three know. and yes, out. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah, but like I said, I'm dying <laughs> on that hill. <laughs> also, uh, my this will kind of be a segue into the next uh episode, but my stat, my little 18 year stat check thing is paying out so far. So, we'll be curious to see if the team with a lower record going into the playoffs is going to uh ultimately win the Super Bowl. Okay, we can we can dissect that some more once again, once the result comes out. But hey, I took a future on it back when that happened, and sure enough. All right. Well, hey, don't get me wrong. I'm, it's not that I'm not rooting <laughs> for for the Bengals and not rooting for you to make money. Uh, I just think the the thought process there is a little flawed. But <laughs> all right, that will do it for this episode, everybody. We will catch you. Uh, Probably early next week for a Super Bowl preview. We will go in depth um, and it's the last game of the year. So can't hold anything back. Right, guys? Oh, yeah. No. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. uh, Super stoked for Von Miller. Big shout out to Von Miller making another Super Bowl. Yes, for sure. All right. That will do it. And we will catch you later.